Good morning, guys. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Brian. Grateful to see you guys here today. We're continuing our second uh, series, A Life Worth Living. And I've got a quick question for you guys. Any August birthdays in the house? August birthdays. All right. More in this service than last service. My birthday is in August. We actually, August seems, seems to be like a time when all the birthdays in my family happen. So my birthday is in August. Eli's birthday is in August. He's turning four this year. My sister's birthday is in August. My grandmother's birthday was in August. And I have a cousin whose birthday is in August. So like there's a high concentration of August birthdays. And the question that always comes up is, is it a birth month for you or birthday? Right? Like birth month. There's a couple people. Somebody on Facebook, a friend of mine, uh, on July 31st posted my birth month starts tomorrow. August birthday, July 31st. She's giving everyone a heads up. Her birth month is coming. She's actually here this morning. I saw her wearing a tiara. There she is. Esther, thank you for doing that. Some people celebrate birth months. It's a big deal. That's right. Happy birthday. Happy birth month, Esther. It, it's very exciting, you know, because you, you get this build up and you want everybody to be part of it and you want people to celebrate with you, people walk alongside of you to make a big deal out about you, but also so that you can rub off on other people the joy and the happiness. That's not me. Some people have like birth month, some people have birth week, uh, some people have just regular birthday. I have like a birth afternoon. I enjoy like going home and just having a nice cup of coffee, a nice dinner, a little relaxation. I'm having a pineapple upside down cake this year. Really looking forward to that. Like I like the smaller things, the smaller things, just low key. And it's just kind of more me. I'm more introverted. But Congratulations to you who have entered into your birth month. It's very exciting. Eli's birthday is on the 18th of this month, and he's going to be turning four, and he's very excited about it. For the past two months, he's been asking, is it this day? Is it this day? And he's kind of started getting mixed up between height and age, because for the past two months, he's also been very excited about how tall he is. So how tall I am. How tall I am? Over and over again. He's three. Well, we got time to work on the grammar, but he comes up to me. How tall I am? For the past two months, the answer has been 40 inches. 40 inches. Eli, you are 40 inches tall. You're getting taller and taller. He's, how old will I, t- her, how tall will I turn on my birthday? I said, no, that's very cute, but that's not really how it works. Like, you'll probably be 40 inches, but you're turning four. It's going to be so awesome. You're going to be four years old, but you're going to be four, still 40 inches. And a couple minutes goes by, and he looks up at me and goes, Dad, your birthday's in August. How tall will you turn? (laughs) Nothing got through. I'm going to be 70 inches still. I've been 5'10 for the past 20 years. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Height and age don't correspond. But here's one thing he does know intuitively. We're all supposed to be growing. He's supposed to be getting taller. He's supposed to be getting faster. He's supposed to be getting stronger, and he's supposed to be getting older. Joanne, my wife, and I hope one day he'll be getting calmer also. But... (laughs) He knows he's supposed to be growing. He knows that there's supposed to be something happening around his birthday. And birthdays are a great time to look back and to look forward and to figure out where am I growing? Am I becoming the person I want to become? Where am I growing? We're talking this whole series about a life that feels stagnant, how we can instead find a life that is worth living. Because stagnation and worthlessness compete with a life that is worth living. When we feel stuck, we feel like life isn't going anywhere, we question its worth, and if we're adding worth to it, and all of a sudden, things just start falling apart for us, we feel stuck 
and stagnant. And last week we talked about how there's an energizing cycle in one of Paul's letters, this letter that he writes to the Colossians. And over and over again in this letter of Colossians, if you read it, there's this energizing cycle of no, grow, show. No, grow, show. And he talks about this over and over again, how you need to be entering into each one of these on an ongoing basis. We need to be growing at the same time that we're showing. We need to be showing at the same time we're knowing. And it's this cycle that goes around and around. We get stuck when we view faith or life as a series of steps where I have to know everything about who Jesus is before I can start improving my life or growing. Or I need to have everything down in my life. I need to know it all and I need to have developed enough personal growth before I can start telling others a bit about it, showing others the way. And we get stuck because we see it as a series of steps. And Paul's saying it's a cycle. It's ongoing. It's supposed to be constantly happening throughout your life. Paul returns over and over again to this idea that if we just look at Jesus then something within us would change. Our knowledge would change because looking at Jesus, we discover a true way to live, a life that is worth living. When we look at him, we begin to realize I was created to experience and live life like that. I was created to live and experience and live life like Jesus did. And that's powerful. These three weeks, I've tried to summarize it this way. Knowledge sets the direction. And last week, that's what we talked about. Direction determines destination. You need to know who you are and where you're going to get to go to get to where you want to go. You have to know who you are and where you're going. This week we're talking about growing fuels the journey. Knowing sets the direction, growing fuels the journey, and next week we'll talk about showing makes it meaningful. When what we know about Jesus guides us in how we grow, our lives get better. Our relationships improve. We have greater impact at work. We have greater influence on our community. Something changes within us that sets kind of a domino effect in everything else around us that just gets better and it makes life worth living. So this morning we're going to talk about how growing fuels the journey by looking at Colossians 3 verse 1. Follow along with me. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We have to stop here. Because this list just isn't very comfortable, right? Like the air kind of goes out of the room as you read that list. And if you've been in church a long time, you're familiar with these lists. And we mentioned last week our brains, when we hear something over and over again, they go into energy conservation mode. Our brains are incredibly efficient. So for some of us here, we sat here and we heard that list and our brains kind of checked out because we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard that list before. Let's move on. And as we mentioned last week, we need to move from simply examining scripture to now examining our lives in light of it. Not focus so much on the words, but focus on God. What are you speaking to me out of it? Examining our life. If you're new to church, or maybe you haven't read these lists, or you've kind of glossed over them, or maybe you've had just that second cup of coffee this morning, and you notice the list, and you're like, oh, I don't like that list. That's an odd list. Like, that seems incredibly outdated, controlling. God seems so prudish and sensitive. Why is this in here? I don't like it. Can we rewrite some of this stuff? God has no business getting up in my life. Like, he just needs to back off. He's a little outdated. I used to think of God like my mom. Here's what I mean. My dad had control of the TV. Anybody else's dad growing up had control of the TV? Like, you couldn't change the channel without approval. My dad would set the channel on a Saturday, and he would work outside like three quarters of every hour 
But he wanted to come in for that 15 minutes and look at that show. And so if you've changed the channel while he was out, there was a cost to pay. Like he had control. He wanted to know what... We wanted that to be on TV. He had it. In, that, you know, in the 80s, he had to physically get up and turn the knob on our little tube TV with the wood paneling sides. But he had control. It was all his. I long for that control of my family. I'll never get it. But he had control. And in the 80s and 90s, I'm getting back to my mom here in a minute. In the 80s and 90s, two of his favorite shows were Three's Company and Married with Children. Three's Company and Married with Children. Misogynistic a little bit, right? If you're familiar with them. Women were objectified. There's some inappropriate stuff in there. Just not like good family values. And my mom hated them. Hated them with a passion. And she would be walking by or sitting at the table and it'd be playing in the background. And this is what would happen. Oh, I can't believe that's on there. <laughs> you got to change the channel. I can't change the channel. And the whole time she would be mumbling under her breath. This disgust and frustration, that's the way I pictured God. When I read this list, you know, I, growing up, I pictured God going up in heaven going, oh, I can't believe they're doing that again. You know, just kind of that, oh, somebody changed the channel. What is this happening? And he seems so prudish. Like, God, just get over it. Like, this is, you know, what is going on? Something changed in me. As I read this over and over again, looking at Paul, these lists are in the Bible. If you look at everything around this list, This list is not in here because God is prudish and he can't handle it. It's in here because more often than not, the things in these lists destroy others around us. They offend people. They hurt people. They put us at odds with people, even if it's intentional, unintentional. It puts us at odds with others because oftentimes it's a selfish pursuit, a search for happiness, search for something that we're longing for inside of us and we see it in somebody else and we try to take it. It puts us at odds at others. And what Paul is saying is when we're at odds with other people who God loves and has created in his image, it puts us at odds with God. When we're at odds with other people in our lives, it also puts us at odds with God because those people are loved and created by God. And so these verses are incredibly relational. It it doesn't really have to do as much. Yes, they're still sins. They're against the character of God and purposes of God. But primarily, they destroy the relationships between you and the people around you. And that's what Paul is getting at. If you look at the rest of these verses, Paul focuses heavily on the relationships. And we have to be intentional with the habits and the decisions in our lives, the identity of ourselves, who we understand ourselves to be, or else the habits that we have will put us at odds with other people around us. It'll hurt our relationships. It'll leave us wanting because it's a path of selfishness, not a path of true life. Paul goes on and reminds us in Colossians 3, 7, that we have a new identity. You used to walk in these ways, everything that you just talked about, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I have to pause because the events of this past week have kind of mandated that we take a little sidestep. We prayed about it at the beginning of this service. We've had four shootings this week with a lot of loss of life. Between California, Mississippi, El Paso, and Dayton, 
And we see over and over again what Paul is talking about here. Getting to the heart, talking about anger, rage, malice, envy, all these things that stir up within us and put us at odds with other people. We see it played out over and over again in our community. And Paul says that there is a remedy. There's something that has to change, something that has to change powerfully. And it's all based on being recreated, renewed in the image of our creator. When we understand ourselves differently and understand others differently, that each person is created and loved by God, that Christ is in all, created in God's image, it changes how we act and live. And when we're renewed in the image of who we've always been created to be, who we were always meant to be, some of these things like anger, rage, malice, they start to work themselves out. God begins to bring healing and restoration. The result is in verse 11, that there's neither Jew or Gentile. And what he's saying here is we don't look at somebody else as other than or different from based on their race, their nationality, their language, all these things. Yes, there's a lot of issues around it, around all these murders and mass shootings and all the stuff going on. There's a lot of issues and it's incredibly complex. But one thing that's powerful that Paul reminds us of is it's a heart issue. It's an identity issue. Understanding who we are and who everybody else is puts us back in unity and alignment with one another because we're all created and loved by a God who brings us together, calls us to be renewed, calls us to be on a different path. And so Paul does that in a powerful way. He says, knowing something has changed something. You used to walk in these ways, but now. The but now that Paul mentions is a new path. You've got a new way to walk, a new direction to go, a new life to live. It's an identity renewal. Because when that happens, when we change our identity, when we understand who we were created to be, our relationships change. These verses are incredibly relational, and these habits put it at odds with others. But they're not just habits. They grow out of an identity. Why does Paul feel it necessary to say that filthy language comes out of our mouth? Like, where else is it going to come from, right? Filthy language comes out of the mouth. It makes sense. But 30 years earlier, Jesus said something very similar, talking to a bunch of religious people. The religious leaders were like, okay, what separates man from God? And what separates man from other men? And they said, eating. What you eat separates you, makes you unclean. And Jesus says, it's not what comes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of him. The words that come out of him make him unclean because it puts him at odds with others. And Paul lumps all these together because ultimately he's dealing with a heart issue. If it comes out of us, it's inside of us. If it comes out of us, it's inside of us. And that's really challenging because we say a lot of times, I say a lot of times, I didn't mean to say that. What I really meant, if I'm honest, is I didn't mean to say that out loud. You know, like it's constantly thinking it's somewhere deep inside, but every now and then we get bumped around just enough and something comes out and it reveals a character of who we are, an identity of who we are. We can fool ourselves thinking we've got our behavior under control. Most of us go to work and it's a fairly normal work environment, right? Like if you get frustrated with an employee or a coworker, you don't scream and yell and hit them, right? No, most of us. I've worked in some dysfunctional offices where there was screaming. You could tell it was dysfunctional and everybody wanted to leave. But during the day, you control your behavior. You get very angry and you don't blow up at somebody in the workplace. But all of a sudden, you get home and what happens? You're like, oh, thank God. I can just be myself. You know, and all of a sudden, you kind of revert back and the language is coming out. You're yelling, you're screaming, you're kind of throwing fits here and there. You know, it's like picking your nose in a car. You know it's not appropriate to pick your nose out in public. But for some reason, as soon as you get in the car, 
Nobody can see you, right? You can just be yourself. Behavior change. We feel like when we're under the microscope, we can control ourselves, but something happens when we get in those like safe places. We think people can't see us. We shut the door and all of a sudden we become somebody we never wanted to be. We begin acting the way we never thought we would ever act. And here's the remedy that Paul gives us, Colossians 3.10. Every one of you now is a new person. You are becoming more and more like your creator and you will understand him better. To renew something is to resume an activity after a period of interruption. Our lives started out on one path. Your life started out on one path. And somewhere along the way, we have made decisions that have led us to a place we never wanted to go. Made decisions that have made us the person that we never wanted to become. And there's a renewal that takes place because Jesus brings new light on the path and says, this is how you were meant to live. This is the life you were meant to experience. And I want to lead you in that way. James Clear, in a book, Atomic Habits, uh, enjoyed the book a lot. Uh, Mike LaCroix actually recommended it to me. I'm glad I picked it up a week ago, read it in preparation for this. And something in what he says that made sense to me. Atomic Habits, not a Christian book, written by James Clear. He writes this. Success in habits boils down to two things. Decide the person you want to be and then prove it to yourself with small wins. Decide the person you want to be and prove it to yourself with small wins. We have to have an identity change and then make progress. And Paul is telling us to take off this old life, to develop new habits, start a new process. And what's powerful for us, what we need to remind ourselves of, and what I remind myself all the time, growth is not a matter of being perfect, but a matter of pursuit. Not a matter of being perfect, but a matter of pursuit. Proving it to ourselves in the small wins on an ongoing basis. And here are the things Paul wants us to win at. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And over all these other traits, as if they're layers of clothing, that you bind those layers of clothing together with love. Verses 5 through 8 put us at odds with others. Verses 12 through 14 put us at peace with others. 5 through 8 puts us at odds with others, and 12 through 14 puts us at peace with others. Imagine your home if you chose one of these traits to make marginal improvement in? Could you imagine what the tone of your home would feel like if you grew in one of these areas? What would work look like? What would your commute look like if you grew in these areas? What could life be like? I want to share one area that hits very close to home for me. I grew up in an alcoholic home. My father was an alcoholic. And it was always kind of this tense environment. We never really knew what to expect or how to respond. Um, I grew up with a lot of anger, a lot of hatred. I hated my dad. I remember at eight or nine years old telling my mom, why don't we just leave him? And we would stay with him for another almost 10 years. My mom and I packed up one day and just left the house when I was 17 and just walked out. Said, okay, we got to do it when he's not expecting it. Let's just leave. But an alcoholic home, and my father was rather controlling. I mentioned the TV already, but he was also controlling over dinner. 
Dinner had to be on the table by 5.30 or 6, every night, 5.30 or 6. If it was after 6, you might as well be eating breakfast. That is his refrain. You might as well be eating breakfast. And so several nights, I remember, my mom would be late. Dinner would be late. And you know, to really stick it to us, he just would go to bed hungry. That was the most peaceful dinners we ever had. It's kind of ironic. You know, alcoholic logic doesn't really work. I'm really going to stick it to him and let her know that's got to be on the table by 5.30 by not eating just didn't work. Like we just enjoyed our dinner. And so, you know, it was kind of a tense, uncertain conversation. And I remember one night my mom made dinner and I don't remember all the pieces, but I do remember we had cornbread. Anybody like cornbread? Cornbread's good. What happens if you overcook cornbread? It's like a hockey puck, right? You could break windows with it. You put it in your mouth and it's like eating sand. You got to wash it down. You got to cover it in butter. You got to do something. Overcooked cornbread's no fun. And my dad decided to remind us of that one night. And he took that cornbread, trying to demonstrate how hard it was, and he slammed it down on the table. And everything on the table went on the floor. And my mom looked at me and said, gotta go, grab my arm. And we picked up and went next door. Happened several times. And that challenged something within me. Like it created a lot of anger, a lot of hatred, a lot of sarcasm, a lot of bitterness. And I remember getting a CD from somebody at church that was a number of years older than me. It was 1999. I was 16 years old. And I remember this individual handing me the CD called No Higher Calling and um, challenged me to listen to it, enjoy it. And there's two different reactions that people can have. This CD talks about God as Father. And if you've had a challenging childhood, a challenging father relationship, for a lot of people, God as Father like sends them running. I don't want a God like that. For me, it actually had the opposite effect. I heard who God as father was and says, yes, I need something. I need some father in my life that's going to provide something positive for me. And I set that up because I want to read a couple lyrics out of the spoken word on the CD. It was a setup to a song. But this paragraph, these words, have stuck with me for 20 years. I heard them when I was 16 years old. I want to read them to you. Gentlemanliness is a prime characteristic of a true father. King David said to God, thy gentleness has made me great. Gentleness is a manifestation of real strength. Weak men have a tendency to be harsh. The strength of a man can be found in the gentleness with which he handles matters. When I heard that, thinking of my situation, the harshness of which my father handled matters, the anger and the hatred that welled up within me, the bitterness that I had, the sarcasm that I could put out, the destructiveness that I had. Something in that said yes. Something in Paul's words, gentleness is one of his traits. Something in those words said yes, that's what I need. I need to be praying that. For the past 20 years, I have prayed that prayer. God created me gentleness, that my gentleness might be greater than my harshness. That something would change in me every morning and every night. That God would change something inside of me. When I got married almost 12 years ago, I was reminded how far I needed to go in gentleness. When I got married, I, I was very quickly led back to the way my father led with harshness. And the reality is, is it's not just words, but it's looks. Like my wife has the ability through like three layers of walls to feel the look of harshness. She knows it. It changes the tone of the home. 
And seeing marginal improvement, praying over this over and over again when we got married, realizing, man, I've got to up my game. I've got to pray for this more. Something in me needs to change. When we had Eli four years ago, I thought I'd done pretty good. And then all of a sudden I realized, man, something in me has got to change. Something in me has to change my identity, who I am, the things that I've relied on, the habits I've built for 30 years. Something in me has to change. I was reminded of that two weeks ago when Eli woke up six times in the course of an hour at 2 a.m., wanting water, wanting to go to the bathroom, wanting to be retucked in, wanting to watch a show, wanting to get breakfast, wanting to sit up, wanting to sleep the other direction of the bed. Like there's four requests every time he got up. And I remember at the end of that sixth time laying my head on the pillow and saying, God, help me with gentleness. Because in that moment, I wanted to be harsh. And there more often than not that I am. But for 20 years, that has been my prayer. Creating me gentleness. The reality is, is growing fuels the journey. It's not a milestone that you pass. It's not a product that is transferred. It is a path that is pursued. You're not called to be perfect in things. You're called to pursue them at all costs on an ongoing daily basis. James Clear in Atomic Habits says again, you should be more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. What direction are you growing? What habits are you growing? Paul uses the imagery of being clothed in these traits. And you get up every morning, thankfully. Everybody gets up every morning and gets dressed. Thank you. Some get dressed better than others, but thank you. And there's a challenge. Paul uses this language in a very powerful way. You are clothed. Wear these traits because he knows every morning we get up. And as habitual as it is, we still make a decision. We make choices. And what Paul is saying is every morning when you get up, you have a choice to make, a decision to make. What will you wear today? Putting on something new is exciting, right? Like if you have a job interview, a new date, you put on something new, something fresh, something clean. What happens? You stand up a little bit taller, right? You see yourself a little bit differently. A little bit of smile comes over your face. Not only that, but the person on the other side sees you differently. When you put on something new, people see you differently. That's what Paul is saying. Put something new on today. Put away these old things that put you at odds with people. Start putting on things that put you at peace with them. Put on something different. What are you going to wear today? Each morning, we're faced with the choice of who we will become. What things we will grow, the habits, the words, the actions we will choose. These have choices to move us along the path to a worthy life or one of destruction. If you feel stagnant, whether you feel overwhelmed by the task of growing of what needs to happen in your life, or maybe you feel like, man, I've made some pretty good behavior modifications. This week, I want us all to choose one of these things in verses 12 through 14. Choose one. And ask yourself, if I were to make even marginal improvement in them, what difference could that make? If I even made a small difference in compassion or gentleness, how would that change my family? How would it change my workplace? How would it change my relationships? When you write this word down and make it visible throughout your day, track your progress, check in on yourself. Paul uses the imagery of clothing Because every morning you get up and you ask yourself, what am I going to wear today? The book uh, Atomic Habits calls this habit stacking. Every time you ask that question, what am I going to wear today? I want you to ask this question, or I want to tell yourself this. I want you to pray this. Lord, help me to wear compassion. Help me to wear gentleness. Whatever that word is, 
when you ask yourself, what am I going to wear today? To pause for five seconds to say, help me to wear gentleness, compassion, whatever that word is. I actually want us to take out our phones and do this because some of you are writing on the bulletin, which is amazing and great, but something weird happens as soon as you get inside your car, that paper disappears. It's special parenting paper that we purchased, but as soon as you get in the car, it disappears. Like you'll never find it again. So I want you to actually take out your phone, email yourself, put it in the notes section, something. What is that thing that you're going to focus on this week? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. And every morning when you get up and ask yourself, what am I going to wear today? May you pray this prayer, Lord, help me to wear for me, it's gentleness. And this is where the real challenge comes, and it's the, the evening prayer that you see up there. At the end of the day, you're only going to grow if you're paying attention to what you've done that day. When you lay your head on that pillow, ask yourself, did I grow in gentleness today? Was I gentle or was I compassionate, kind? You get the hint. Because when we do that, we're faced with this reality of the gap between what we know we should do and what we're actually doing. When I asked my question, myself that question two weeks ago with my son waking up a number of times, I put my head on that pillow and I said, God, help me to grow in gentleness because I could tell that the gap between the way I know I wanted to act and the way I acted were different. And in that moment, I had to pray this prayer because there's something in it that reminds us of who we are, who God is, and it reminds us that he's forgiven us. And we ask for power again. God, thank you for gentleness. Because God is each one of these characteristics. God, thank you for your gentleness and forgiveness. Renew me in your image that I might wear gentleness. Amen. Quick, short prayers. That's all we want. Build them into your habit. When, what am I going to wear today? Lord, help me to wear gentleness. At the end of the day, when your head hits that pillow, God, was I gentle? Lord, help me to wear gentleness. Thank you for your gentleness and your forgiveness. I want you to type that out. We're actually going to take 30 seconds to let you do it. Because I believe it's important and powerful for what you're going to experience this week. So, on your bulletin or on your phone, we're just going to take a few moments to do that. My prayer for you guys this week is that you would choose who you want to become, that that image of who you want to be is renewed in the image of Christ, your creator, the one who loves you and created you, and that you would find a life that is worth living, a path that is powerful to pursue, a direction for your life that will change everything else, and that this area of growth might be one piece in experiencing that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in the midst of our pursuit, you never give up on us. That, Lord, for as many times as I've fallen, that you have helped pick me back up. Lord, I pray that this morning all of us would be encouraged by your grace, your power, your love, your gentleness, your kindness, your compassion. Lord, and that we would be grateful for your forgiveness, Lord. Help us to wear these things 
that we would walk differently, that we would understand ourselves differently, but also that everybody else in our life would see us differently because we have put on compassion, kindness, humility. Help us to wear these things and may it change who we are, our relationships, our work, our daily lives, and then we might experience you through that process. In your name, amen.